Rogue's Gallery Uncovered Bad Behaviour in Period Costume A non-judgmental pub crawl through the scandalous lives of history's greatest libertines, Lotharios and complete bastards. This podcast contains adult themes, the occasional touch of colourful language and scenes of excessive and probably very enjoyable inebriation. Be a monster. Out on the lash in Victorian London with Henry Waysford Charles Plantagenet Rawdon Hastings. Before we get around in, I would just like to say a very quick thank you to, well, lovable rogues everywhere for supporting the podcast even after its long absence. I tentatively had a look at my stats the other day, and so many of you downloaded the last episode within seven days that, if you've set any store by these kind of things, Rogues Gallery Uncovered found itself in the top 10% of podcasts, and that's after not uploading anything for over five months. Now, I normally wouldn't go on about stuff like that, but it was a lovely surprise and, I suppose, a bit of a disgraceful milestone. So, thanks again, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Special mention goes out to rogues Dara Hammond, Paul Thompson, Sophie No Last Name Supplied, the wonderfully named Danish Samurai, and Nick Davis for getting in touch via Instagram, Twitter, and email, respectively, to say some very nice things. I really do appreciate you getting in touch. Right, that's enough sentiment. Let's crack on with the bad behaviour. After, of course, this stern warning. The following tale is written in the present tense of the period in which it's set, and as such may contain attitudes and opinions of the protagonists and their times which would today be considered unacceptable. As I'm not a permanently drunk member of the English aristocracy living in the world of over 150 years ago, those attitudes and opinions are, and I can't stress this enough, obviously not mine. I do quite like a pint though. Oh, and at some point in the first five minutes or so of this tale, I'll make a thinly veiled reference to a classic British movie that you won't be surprised to learn is one of my all-time favourites. For shits and giggles, and to get a shout out in the next episode, drop me a line at simon at roguesgalleryonline.com and let me know what you think it is. Cheers. London, 1866. Please, I beg of you, do not speak above a whisper or move around too vigorously, or I shall surely void my bodily wastes upon the hearthrug. I have a hangover, sir, a turmoil of the mind and body of such spectacular proportions that I vow from this day forward to never again touch intoxicating liquor. A pig has defecated in my head, sir, and I only intended to partake of a few ales. It's all the fault of Henry Waysford Charles Plantagenet Rawdon Hastings, 4th Marquess of Hastings, an imbiber of legendarily prodigious appetites even though he is but 24 years of age, whose reputation as a genial man of sport is the talk of London. He would, I'm sure, have been more at home in the lusty days of the Regency than the present sober and virtuous age. My bowels certainly wish he'd been born 30 years earlier. By Christ a man can drink. I arrived for dinner at eight, 
Hastings was not yet dressed, as he'd been out on a debauch the night before and had medicated himself by enjoying a late breakfast of mackerel fried in gin and some caviar on toast. Joining us for the evening's explorations were the Prime Minister of Bavaria, a trio of young German nobles, and a couple of highly placed Metropolitan Police detectives. Invited, Hastings said, in case we got into any trouble with the law later on. I was told to make sure that I had the odd sovereign or two pocketed about my person, as, knowing the places we were going to frequent, Hastings was certain that I would have greedy fingers in every fold of my clothing before the night was out and it was better to let the knaves have a coin for their trouble rather than give them nothing and perhaps get a beating later on. He told me that whenever he dances with a young beauty, he often feels their hands all over him in a feather-like quest for silver. Go it, he will cry, I'm not a bit ticklish. <laughs> he cares not about the loss as he's well able to afford it, and his generosity when in his cups is a thing of legend. If he's not careful, he'll have exhausted his family's entire fortune before the decade is out. We began our evening at a rat-baiting pit in Endell Street. Hastings had a bet running with some fellow called Hamilton and was in a state of high excitement. Upon walking down the stairs, he loudly ordered six cases of champagne, enough for everyone, and a great cheer rose up. This was apparently not an uncommon occurrence. The noise of the pit was like the screaming of the damned, and the hot press of the crowd, the thick smoke, and the smell of blood, animals, stale beer and unwashed men all combined to make my head spin. But as the starved terriers tore into the savage rodents in the sawdust below, a bottle or two of Hastings champagne soon saw me screaming into the carnage like a regular gamesman. Did Hastings win his wager? I can't recall, but I couldn't wash the blood from my cuffs, I know that much. We then hailed a hansom and made our way to Leicester Square, for an hour or two at the Café Royale, or as it's known by all around town, Kate's. This is in honour of its proprietor, the celebrated Kate Hamilton. She'd been quite a beauty in her youth, but decades of dissipation has wreaked havoc on her physique, and she now weighs upwards of 20 stone. I saw her as we entered the salon, her décolletage balancing precariously upon a frighteningly low-cut bodice, laughing with some well-heeled young gentleman. Hamilton said she was shaking like a giant blancmange, which I thought was a little churlish. Kate's is one of London's most famous houses of disrepute, which only caters to the most select clientele. Royalty, the wealthy, the noble, the clergy, government ministers, that sort of thing. The prices for food and drink are outrageous. Champagne and Moselle, 12 shillings a bottle. A bottle! The price of a woman is even greater. Only the most high-class courtesans ply their trade on Kate's dance floor. Hastings told me that if a man was not prepared to spend at least five or six pounds there in an evening, he wasn't allowed through the door. I saw Kate again later, sitting on a raised platform looking down upon the revels below, her loud voice cutting through the music and the din, calling out greetings and cackles of encouragement. <laughs> the trouble with being so well known is that an establishment like Kate's becomes a regular target for police raids. I found this out as I got up to visit the privy. A great hue and cry suddenly erupted as the call went up, It's the traps! And the place became a picture of well-practised movement. To get into Kate's, you see, you have to make your way down a long covered passage. This keeps troublemakers and undesirables well away from the door, but also gives servants plenty of time to warn the management of any virtuous peelers heading their way. At the warning shout, the music stopped, carpets were rolled up and floorboards raised. Everyone in the place then threw their glasses, empty and full, into the spaces beneath, along with all the bottles from which they'd been drinking. 
patrons who had moments before been lustily laughing and swapping off-colour stories, Hastings' new and unending supply, suddenly began sitting as demurely as church mice and conversing in hushed and reverential tones. When a red-faced, scowling police inspector and his grinning squad of constables strode in, the room was as respectable as Queen Victoria's parlour. Nods were exchanged between the inspector and the detectives at our table before a cursory inspection was conducted and the police made their exit. I suspect some arrangement exists between Kate and the officers of the law to ensure that such visits fail to result in any kind of prosecution or damage to her reputation. The raid, however, put Hastings in an ill humour, so while the rest of the clientele rummaged around beneath the floorboards to retrieve their drinks, we made our own exit. Time for mots, I heard Hastings say. By this time, I could barely string two words together. My breeches were soiled and I'd been sick into my hat, but Hastings said the night was young. Mots is the nom de plume of the Portland rooms, another savannah where wealthy older gentlemen are stalked by accomplished paramours. The majority of these women, however, were not common dabs. Most were actresses or young ladies of refinement who hoped to secure a future under the protection of a generous benefactor before their looks faded. The men who frequent Mots are from the highest strata of society. Only those known to management by name are allowed entry, and once accepted, it matters not how debauched a fellow's reputation, but that he would be welcomed there. Hastings was, of course, known by everyone, so we had little difficulty getting through the door. There is, however, a strict policy of not allowing admission to any man who is not wearing evening dress, and as my coat was stained from rat blood, spilled champagne and other fluids, I'd taken to holding it draped over my shoulder. Despite my strongest protestations, I was compelled to don it once more before I was allowed to follow my companions into the glittering interior. Even in my inebriated state, I was dazzled by the beauties moving like ships at sail all around me, although sadly not towards me. There was Catherine Walters, more popularly known as Skittles, a stunning beauty and skilled horsewoman. I've often been strolling through Hyde Park when her appearance, steering her carriage along Rotten Row, has caused a crowd to gather and gasps of admiration to be heard above the sound of hoofbeats. She's counted Napoleon III and our own Prince Edward amongst her lovers. Hastings said that she could ride him to Penzance and back whenever she liked, which made us all roar with laughter. I also saw Nellie Fowler, another great beauty, but Nellie is famous for her intoxicating smell. <laughs> Such is the sweetness of her feminine scent that many a love-starved young man has paid handsomely for Nellie to sleep with his handkerchief pressed beneath her pillow, so it would be impregnated with her aroma. Hastings, who was on top form, said that you could smell Nellie in half the drawing rooms of London and never find her in any of them. At about three in the morning, Mots doesn't even begin to come alive until midnight, I noticed, through clouded vision, Hastings furtively slipping outside, only to return a few minutes later carrying a large wriggling sack. Among his many eccentricities, Hastings is renowned as a practical joker, and I swear it's only his unsurpassed charm and generosity that prevents him from being called out or sent to prison. At a signal from Hastings, some accomplice in his employ turned off the gas to all the lamps illuminating the room plunging it into complete darkness. As the shrieks, crashes and shouted oaths reached a crescendo, he then upended the sack, which contained, he says, 200 rats, presumably left over from the Endell Street pit. 
Among the cramped confines of the pitch-black room, the panic caused by the rats as they ran amok up trouser leg and petticoat had to be seen, or not seen, to be believed. Through it all, Hastings bellowed with laughter, holding his sides, his eyes streaming with tears. His work complete, Hastings made for the door, only to be stopped by old Freer, the head doorman who is held with deep respect and not a little fear by the patrons. I thought he would attack us with a cudgel as we stood before him, the sounds of the carnage we, well, Hastings had created, echoing behind us. Now, I don't know if it was the presence of two detectives or Hastings' reputation that placated this most savage of beasts, but he respectfully took Hastings to one side and, as a young woman ran screaming past us, pursued by three malodorous rodents, said simply, Really, my lord, these practical jokes cannot be permitted. I thought after that our night was complete and it was time to retire to the warmth and safety of a nice bed, perhaps in a hospital or specialist clinic. Our German companions were starting to look a little green around their Teutonic gills and the two policemen had wet themselves and were brawling in the street. Hastings, however, had other ideas and before the sun came up we found ourselves down by the docks along the Ratcliffe Highway, an area notorious for violent crime where even the most steadfast of men think twice before attempting to walk its length. On Ratcliffe Highway, drunken sailors armed with long knives staggered from gin shop to gin shop while unsavoury criminals eyed us with greed and malice from beneath their hats. Tupney tarts loudly and vigorously entertained their customers up against walls in every alley and doorway we passed, while all around fishwives and drunks filled the air with a concerto of abuse. Hastings suggested that we put our heads around the door of an opium den, of which there seemed to be many, and a greater tableau of human misery I can scarcely imagine. Row upon row of men and women, slumped insensible in dimly lit rooms, the air sweet with the stench of the opium to which they had completely surrendered their consciousness. One of our number took a drawer on a Chinaman's pipe as he walked past, and we were chased down the street by a group of them brandishing some vicious kind of hatchet before the detectives in our party came to our rescue. We then had to carry the fellow who had been the cause of our near-fatal chopping all the way to the Jolly Sailor in Ship Alley because, as the opium fiends turned tail, his eyes rolled back into his head and he promptly fell into a swoon. At the Jolly Sailor, the detectives proved to be our saviours yet again as we walked into this den of thieves and gutter scum. "'It's all right, lads,' they shouted. "'Only some gents to stand you a drink.' The chap on the door, however, tried his damnedest to dissuade us from entering. Keep your money, Sergeant. We've got a mangy lot here tonight and they won't cotton to the gents. If they ask one of their women to dance, it'll be taken as an affront. And if they don't ask them, it'll be taken as an affront. Leave well alone, say I. Most nights it might do, but not tonight. The drink's got older, most of them, and there's a lot of scurvy Greeks about who'll whip out their knives before you can say what's what. He suggested that we might have a better time at the King of Prussia, the Prince Regent, the Old Mahogany Bar, or indeed the Blue Anchor. Hastings, though, pushed his way in regardless and ordered a round of drinks for everyone. For a while, all seemed well. Around us, couples danced, or staggered, to the sound of a fiddle being played with alarming vigour by an old man in the corner. Other couples, too drunk to even move, were slumped against the wall, fondling each other while slurring incomprehensible words, the spittle dribbling from their mouths. Groups of men sat around rough wooden tables, swigging back chipped tankards of gut-rot spirits or vinegar-like ale, shouting blasphemies to anybody who'd listen and occasionally coming to blows. I, by then, could hardly tell my ass from a hole in the ground, but even my addled brain could sense the animosity that began to emanate from some of the tavern's patrons when they became aware of our presence. 
A sailor leaned across his companion and shouted, Haven't you got a leg of mutton and currant dumplings at home? We out coming here? One of his friends drew a knife and suggested sticking us just for sport. The group surrounded our table. I tried vainly to stand up and make my way to the door, but my legs wouldn't support my weight and I fell forward over the table, my elbows in a pool of slops, murmuring feebly for mercy. At once, a giant of a Scandinavian commanded the group's attention. Bide a while, lads, he says. Let's make them show their colours. Mine were yellow and green with a hint of brown, but Hastings seemed unfazed. What cheer there, the giant says to him, to which Hastings replied with the broadest of smiles, What cheer, my heart is? This exchange of plain, honest banter had a remarkable effect, and the group who only five minutes before seemed set upon murdering us quickly became our dearest friends, and we spent from then till seven in the morning sitting together talking about I know not what. We left at 7.30, most of our fellow drinkers lying insensible on the floor. As the cab took me to my lodgings, and I began to feel the first stirrings of the wretchedness which now consumes me, Hastings was talking about tucking into more gin-fried mackerel. Would you like to come out with us again? he asked. We could go to a finish after the taverns have closed and watch the old toffs get drunk and try to couple with the girls. They often don't even bother finding a room, but just go to it on the sofas in full view of everyone. When they finally pass out, we can pour our beer all over them and leave the old soaks sodden in a puddle of their own filth. I think I muttered something like it sounded most entertaining and we must make arrangements. Excellent, said Hastings. I'll come for you at seven this evening. It's already gone five. I'll need a pot of strong coffee, a bread poultice and some clean and sturdy trousers. God save the Queen. I've tried to find out more about the gregarious fourth Marquess of Hastings, but to be honest, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot out there. The only snippets of info I could find were that he was married to Lady Florence Paget, who, it transpires, broke off her engagement to another man in order to marry him, which caused quite a stink, that the couple were childless, and that in 1860 it was reported that Hastings was one of only three gentlemen to currently hold peerages in all three kingdoms of England, Scotland and Ireland. Now, the scarcity of information about Hastings could be because he died in 1868 at the age of only 26. I'm not sure of what, but I don't suppose that his hard-drinking lifestyle helped very much. It's very much an historical rock and roll story, Live fast, die young. Actually, my initial idea for Rogue's Gallery came about many years ago after reading loads of classic rock and roll biographies, Hammer of the Gods, Up and Down with the Rolling Stones, that sort of thing. I wanted to chronicle the similarly excessive and usually self-destructive behaviour of historical rock stars. And I suppose Hastings, who died just short of the mythical 27 years of age, fits that bill. Actually, I've a growing list of historic Hellraisers that are going to feature in upcoming episodes. Particularly, look out for a similar night on the town featuring 18th century teenage raver William Hickey. If you have any suggestions of rogues that you'd like me to feature, or indeed, if you just want to let me know what you think about the podcast, drop me a line at simon at roguesgalleryonline.com. The address is in the show notes. Next time on Rogues Gallery Uncovered. Conquistadora the remarkable and extremely violent life 
of 17th century Spain's most short-tempered female adventurer, Catalina de Rauso. Couple of things before I go. Firstly, the usual polite request to spread the word about the podcast, if of course you enjoyed it. Positive reviews, high ratings, all that malarkey, it really, really helps. A reminder that the podcast has a website within which there is much to enjoy, roguesgalleryuncovered.com. The link is in the show notes. And while you're there, you can sign up to the mailing list and become a lovable rogue. I was really chuffed to see some new people signing up last week. And finally, if you fancy a disreputable mention at the beginning of the next episode, drop me a line at that email address again, simon at roguesgalleryonline.com and tell me what classic British cult movie I was making reference to at the very beginning of this episode's tale. It's in the first five minutes. Right, after all that, I've got a bit of a thirst on myself, so if you want me, I'll be in the saloon bar cradling a tankard of gin. Have a great week. Actually, no, have a great fortnight now, and I'll see you yesterday. <laughs>